all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We are taking your calls during this hour concerning any kind of issues or topics that you need answered. I know COVID-19 is really up front in everybody's uh, viewfinder, and certainly we had a, uh, a dedicated, uh, focused program last week. Um, uh, covering some of the major issues with COVID-19, as well as your questions or concerns about that. We're going to have time for you to do that starting in about 20 after the hour, but uh, we do want to give you some more updated information as things uh, are emerging and then how some information about how you can stay safe. As you probably are following this, most people have their, their own websites that they're following, the cases we're now at over 44,000 cases of COVID-19 nationwide. And here in Mississippi, we've got uh, updated uh, as of yesterday about 375 cases and unfortunately two deaths in the state. Uh, So this is still a serious issue. Most people I think are following the guidelines, I hope you are, to uh, practice social distancing, uh, keeping six feet away from one another. And then uh, making sure that you are, if you are particularly at high risk, that you're staying home, uh, that you're not venturing out except uh, absolutely necessary, and are making sure that you uh, follow all the recommendations of your doctor. It's also a challenging time to deliver health care to those uh, patients. I know we've had a lot of changes in our clinic practice uh, just to to try to accommodate um, all of our patients in ways that we may not uh, have done that in the past. Um, and some of that's been through telemedicine. Certainly that's a, lot, a new uh, thing for a lot of, um, a lot of our patients. Uh, not so new to the state of Mississippi. That's one of the, the areas of emerging healthcare in ways that we can reach people that, particularly here in, uh, in the Jackson area, that we've been, um, been well aware of and implemented a lot of uh, changes and, and ways to connect with other um, institutions in the state. So there are some, some novel ways to do that. Um, I thought uh, for, we thought for this program today that we would ask one of our healthcare leaders in the state <clears throat> to join us for the first 10 minutes, have some questions that you have posed, uh, and uh, I've gotten a lot of these from our patients um, about, you know, at University of Mississippi Medical Center, so what are some of the things and issues that are going on there? What are some of the ways that uh, perhaps people in the state can, um, can uh, reach out and help in, in different ways? Uh, but we, we're trying to do the best job we can uh, with, uh, with giving you that information. And again, we are uh, going to connect you uh, with uh, connect uh, Dr. Luann Woodward, who is the Vice Chancellor for Health Affairs 
and Dean of the School of Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center here in Jackson in about a minute uh, to uh, ask her some questions. We won't have time to, uh, she won't have time to take questions uh, from our listeners, unfortunately, but we will open up those phone lines. So if you have a question or a comment that which you would like for us to uh, to address today, you can call us at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Kevin, have we got Dr. Woodward on the line? Uh, we are efforting to get her on the line, but have yet to reach her still. So I'll let you okay. know when we get her. Okay. All right. So uh, one other thing that you know we're trying to do here. Uh, you may notice this a little bit. So we're, I'm actually not at MPB studios. Usually I would travel over there, but in trying to set a good example and just making sure that we don't, uh, don't, uh, pass anything back and forth. Uh, we are doing these, uh, doing Southern remedy via Skype, uh, which, uh, is, uh, safe. Hopefully again, it gets the information out to you. Um, people have asked, uh, you know, what's, what's a good site to get information? We have a barrage of social media now that seems like every platform just has a lot of data out there. Um, I would urge people, if you want to follow this, to, um, to go to the CDC uh, website. Um, so at cdc.gov, G-O-V, uh, or the Mississippi State Department of Health website. Um, Those are two, and that's uh, msdh.ms.gov. There are links between those two, so you can, um, you can, um, you know, see what the data is and some emerging things. There's a couple other good sites out there like the National Institute of Health um, on some of the latest data. Certainly, again, a lot of social media that uh, that is out there, and some of it's good information, some of it's not. I believe that we've connected Dr. Woodward now. So, Dr. Woodward, are you on the line? I sure am. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your busy schedule. I know you've been uh, swamped with uh, making uh, important decisions, and uh, we do appreciate the time that you can give us in the uh, state of Mississippi through MPB uh, Southern Remedy uh, to uh, just uh, ask you some questions and uh, get some uh, information out there to our listeners. Absolutely. I'm very glad to do it. So, Dr. Woodward, as, as the only academic health center for the state of Mississippi, what is the role of UMMC in addressing COVID-19? So, that's a short question as far as just the length of the question, but it really is a very big, broad, and overarching kind of question. And 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 there are a few things I'll touch on. So, We are an academic medical center. We're the only one in Mississippi, um, and we're very proud of that. What that means is that we've got three missions. We have a research mission, an education mission, and a clinical mission. Um, And so very often, and particularly during this crisis that we're in, those three missions really come together um, in amazing ways, honestly. So we're doing a number of the things that most health systems are doing as far as visitor restrictions and canceling elective cases and procedures, et cetera. So we're doing those usual things that almost every health system is doing. 
but there are some things that we can bring to bear um, that don't that that others are not able to, and it's because we're an academic medical center. and And just a couple of those are um, the development of an in-house test. So right now, our Mississippi Department of Health is the is the location in the state running the test for us. They have just of late been able to augment their ability some with some commercial tests that are available, but we have, that's the bottleneck for Mississippi and it's the bottleneck for everywhere is the test, being able to run the test. Not every person who has symptoms and not every person who has, you know, it, that falls in kind of the worried well certainly doesn't need a test. So not everybody needs a test, but for those people where it's deemed that they do need a test, um, that has been a bottleneck because we just can't get access to enough tests. Here at the medical center, our microbiology and pathology teams have been working together basically um, nonstop for the last several weeks on the development of an in-house test. We anticipate um, the tests as they are developed have to be validated and, you know, there are a number of steps that you have to go through, but, but without knowing the exact details of all of those things that have to be done, we anticipate that as early as Friday of this week, and if not by Monday of next week, we will have some in-house testing capability. We've been working very closely with the Department of Health, with MEMA, and actually a few others, but um, on this whole test situation, so um, we're partnering with them, and, and like I said, looking forward to being able to offer um, a test that we've developed in-house here from the medical center. We are also developing um, test kits because everything around this test has become difficult to obtain. Even the swabs and the viral media that the, that the um, swabs have to be transported in. So we're also developing in-house test kits in addition to the test. So the research team has been very busy on this. We're actually using a um, volunteer group of students who are working in the test kit assembly um, area. So, so again, our clinical, our research, and our academic mission has come together to meet a serious need that we have and that um, really we have as a state. So that has been kind of one of the big things. The other thing that we have been able to ramp up uh, is our telehealth ability. So we are offering telehealth services um, on one level to our own internal patients. As I mentioned, we've canceled some of our um, elective clinic visits and other things. So we're connecting with some of our already established patients through our telehealth platform. But partnering with CSpire, we have taken that a step further and have a dedicated CSpire app that is available at no charge to the patient um, or to the customer at a statewide level for screening. So we were able to quickly amplify our ability to use technology um, in this way to screen at a statewide level. That started um, this week. So we've, we've kicked that off and just gotten that started. And for those individuals that screen out as as high risk, and we recommend, in fact, that they do be tested, we have also this week kicked off a testing site in conjunction with MEMA and the State Department of Health and the Department of Agriculture, 
a testing site at the fairgrounds here in Jackson. So um, it's been a good partnership across all of our emissions and a good partnership across a number of the state entities to bring that to bear. That's certainly a lot of good work going on and, um, you know, it's certainly a challenging situation. Uh, you mentioned students uh, being involved in some of those activities. As dean of the School of Medicine, how does this affect the new class of doctors and other health science graduates right now? So I am the dean of the medical school. You know, at, at we've, we've got a number of schools here on campus. So all of our senior students, no matter what school they are in, are impacted. College senior students are impacted. High school senior students are impacted. I, I sent a message to some of our students here earlier this week, and I said, okay, class of 2020, um, which you can apply this broadly, class of 2020 all around the country, um, you know, you will forevermore remember that the year that you were graduating is when the pandemic hit and when commencement programs were canceled and all those special senior activities that happen as you're getting close to that milestone in your life. So, um, you know, on one hand, you might say that those feel like kind of trivial things when you're talking about life and death situations, but but really for the individual and for all of the students in the class of 2020, um, those are important things and they're important milestones and they're important ceremonies and important ways to give the families and friends the opportunity to be proud and to be so happy for their graduate and to express that in a formal way. So, you know, I, I, I put in a, in a comment that I made earlier last week, class of 2020, I, I am so sorry this is not what we had planned. Um, so particularly for the medical students and the other health professionals, certainly the nursing students and, and our dental students and all of our clinical health care providers, um, the primary focus that we have right now at the medical center are our senior students. For the students in the other layers of the curriculum, you know, we've got some time to adjust and make adjustments, but particularly for those seniors, we are trying to do everything we can do to be sure that they can graduate on time. Um, for one thing, they're very close and we don't want to delay them any more than necessary. But the other thing is we very well may need them in the workforce. So there's a lot of reasons that we are, you know, the, on the education side, kind of putting all hands on deck and trying to get our seniors to the point where, in fact, they can graduate on time. Particularly for the medical school, the next step in medical training after you graduate from medical school is to do a residency. So when you graduate from medical school, you have an MD, but it is when you go into your residency and do that residency that you become, um, you get on the pathway to become board certified in a specialty. So you might be doing a pediatrics residency, surgery, radiology, um, internal medicine, you know, the whole list of residency options. So we, it is important for our graduates of the medical school to be able to now transition to their residencies to start that process of getting into practice. And I can tell you at the national level, I've been on a number of conference calls over the last couple of weeks about this, there's a big conversation about how we can best um, make this work because many students from all medical schools all around the country, once they graduate, they move to another location for their residency program. So 
Some will stay in the state that they graduated. Some of ours will stay in Mississippi, but a number of them will be moving out of state. And certainly there are a lot of concerns about travel and moving and, you know, the whole world as we know it is in a state of disarray. So there's a lot of conversation happening at a national level about how to best get these students graduated and get them to the next position. It's quite disruptive for all of these students in their particular point of life. Now, if you'll let me sidebar just a minute, I also want to add that um, our student body here across the board, um, the schools I mentioned, medicine, nursing, dentistry, our School of Population Health, our School of Graduate Studies, our School of Health-Related Professions, all of our students have responded to this crisis in an amazing way. Our message to the students has been and will continue to be, your health and safety is our number one priority. We want you to, to stay home, to do as much as you can from home, to be very safe, but um, I don't know how to say it in any other way except to say they are not listening. <laughs> and they feel <laughs> well, they want to. They they want to. They want to help. You're right. Yeah. That, you know, yeah. we have already selected a certain population that are in all these health profession schools that have the heart to serve. That group has already been pre-selected, and they want to help. And they are helping in many ways. So our top priority is their safety, and our second priority is to to help organize and coordinate these ways that they can help. Um, in some, you know, they are providing a lot of services for us. They're actually helping out at MEMA. They're helping with the state health department. Um, but as I mentioned when I was talking about the test kits, we've got students that are doing the work to assemble these test kits. And the students have been willing, based on their level and their own skill set, to volunteer in many ways. You know, we've had students who have basically said, I'm almost a nurse. You know, I can do a lot of nurse things. Um, I'm almost a doctor. I can do a lot of doctor things. And then we right. had students who have said, I know how to take vital signs. I used to work in food service. I can help with food. Many students have said, I really don't have any special skills yet, but I can listen. I can organize. I can extract data from charts. I can clean. The, the willingness of our students to volunteer in any role necessary has really been almost overwhelming to me and, and just inspiring. It, they are, they are sure. and I tell you, if you look at this group of students as the future of what medicine and healthcare looks like, it looks pretty good. Our future's in good hands but with these people. Those, those are the kind of health professionals I want to take care of me when I need absolutely, them. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Dr. Weber, we're we're running a little low on time, and I know you you uh, have a busy schedule today. So, uh, one last question: Is there a, a quick way if people want to help out? Um, what are some of the biggest needs at UMMC right now? How can people help with that, and how can they get in touch with people uh, to to find that out? So, I tell you what: we have had an overwhelming, um, just unbelievable response of community support. It, it just in every way you might imagine, it, it's just touching, honestly, the way that the community has reached out. And I know that I only know of a smidgen of the volume of reach outs that we have had to people here at the medical center wanting to help. We set up a website, and I'm going to read that out to you. 
um, so that that's, that is a way that people who want to get in touch can get information. It's umc.edu slash COVID-19 donations, and that is spelled out C-O-V-I-D-19 D-O-N-A-T-I-O-N-S. Um, so that is a, just a fast way that people can get information. We are putting out a call right now to um, all types of healthcare providers and industry across the state, paint shops, welding supply, just all sorts of entities like that, in particular for PPE, personal protective equipment, we're calling it PPE, and those are gloves, surgical masks, gowns, um, face shields, because we know that a lot of other industries other than just medicine and healthcare use this type of personal protective equipment. And certainly if people have contacts or they have um, um, material that they can donate, that, that's probably at the top of my list. Not everybody has access to that kind of material. And for those, I would refer them to the website. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Riveting on MPB Think Radio. This is Dr. Jimmy with you this morning via Skype, uh, Skyping into the program to try to uh, limit some of my movements and uh, exposures here and there. We're talking about uh, COVID-19, of course, this morning, but also uh, want to be available for any type of question that you have about your health or the health of someone near and dear to you. You can reach us live this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two. Seven four six four. I believe we have Kevin on the line. No, I'm Kevin. Uh, we've, we've got. Oh, I'm sorry, Kevin. Sorry. You are on the line. <laughs> we've got uh, Jerry from uh, Jerry. S- Snow Lake Shores. <laughs> okay, Jerry, are you with us? Hey, thank you, Jerry. For call. Oh, thank you, Jimmy. thank you for calling. Can you hear me? Can you hear yes, me? Yes, go Jimmy? ahead. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. I support you guys every month, and, and I really like MPB. Uh, I think this virus is going to get uglier than it is now, and I also think it's a shame that the Cavalier attitude at the highest levels of our executive government must be at least four weeks laid out of the blocks as far as getting going on this. But having said that, the last person on her said we're trying to invent our own test for this virus, and I'm wondering why reinvent the wheel. The Chinese and the South Koreans 
have tested hundreds and thousands and millions of people for this thing already. Why not license or mimic the test they have rather than reinvent our own test? Yeah, and, and I'm not a an expert in the area, but what I do know about the basics of it is sometimes it depends on the test and the testing method. So every test for something like this uses a different technique. Um, so in some instances, it is it is easier rather than securing those tests, which everybody nationwide, as you know, uh, we don't have enough tests to test everybody in the ways that we would like to do that, particularly for tracking and for epidemiologic um, uh, tracking of the virus, and then also to use uh, to treat people appropriately. Uh, but in some instances, it's easier to go ahead and develop it. Uh, and, you know, he, just one example, as Dr. Woodward mentioned at UMMC, it's, it's a lot easier to do that rather than secure those tests because they're in such short supply. Now, Beyond that, at a national level, certainly I don't have that's that's way beyond my pay grade, and a lot of other people are making those decisions, so I can't answer that, of course. But um, because of the nature of the test, we're pretty well set up in different labs to do that. And you've you you may have heard other private companies have been licensed to do that now too. So some of them are marketing those tests pretty quickly uh, to use in different places. So uh, you know, I, I would agree we're, we're, we're way behind where we wanted to be with testing. Uh, but in the, if we waited to obtain all those tests from other people, and particularly from China, from South Korea, uh, that's, that's probably not going to be an option to where we can acquire those tests very quickly. And it's probably easier to try to develop those tests internally. Yeah, well, what I meant was, get their technology and just use it over here, not necessarily buy the kits from them. But I understand what you're saying. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, we have we have that technology. I sound like the six million dollar man. We have the we have the technology already. That's not like outside the box technology because we use that in some similar ways to test for other viruses and a lot of those respiratory panels, it's just not specific to that one virus. So it's not a technology problem. It's really a manufacturing problem. Uh, and a supply chain problem about having those. So, yeah, the technology is not that. It's that that's well known about how to do it. So, and it's something that we do here for other things already. It's just adapting that in the best way to test for COVID nineteen. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy here answering your questions about any health care issues that you might have. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Got already a call about COVID-19. Certainly we don't have to limit the calls to that today, but if you do have a call about that, feel free to uh, to let us know and, and call in now. We've got some open lines right now for you. That's right, Dr. Jimmy. We've got a call that's getting set up. We'll get that in just a minute. But I had a question, and that is, uh, you know, when someone is exposed to something and they recover from it, I think, is it antibodies that the body creates? And if so, is there hope that maybe by taking a blood sample or something of someone who's recovered from COVID-19, that that might help us get something that would be useful for treating the virus? So, yeah, so that's correct. So when you, uh, what we know about coronaviruses, which is the larger group of viruses, uh, that COVID-19 is a part of is that you at least get have some partial immunity to that. That immunity may go away or wane with time, much like the immunity to flu. But most of the people who are recovering, we think that they're going to have an immunity or at least a partial immunity to it. Now, you can. there are some situations in the past where you would take serum, which would contain those antibodies, from one patient and then give it to somebody else. Probably not a good idea for multiple reasons. It's expensive. There are some limitations with uh, side effects and potential hazards with that. Uh, It's much better if you develop a vaccine for the virus so that you, uh, you know, you can have an immunity that at least lasts seasonal like flu vaccine gives us, or it lasts longer than that, which would be the hope of developing a vaccine. Um, Vaccine development, it's a lengthy process to ensure its safety. Uh, and that's probably looking at a 12 to 18 month process. If you look at what most of the experts are saying, uh, if we get that and that has to be tested you have to make sure that it's going to be effective. They've already started a small clinical trial, uh, in Washington state with one of the communities that's being hit pretty hard right now, uh, or already with, um, with, uh, COVID-19. Uh, but if you're recovered, the thought right now is that you're probably, Uh, at least at a decreased risk of having COVID-19. And if you do get it again, uh, it would not have severe of of effects on on you. So it's much like the flu. But people, even within, uh, you know, a flu season, sometimes they can develop the flu more than once, um, which is why you want to vaccinate as many people as possible to sort of get a herd immunity around those individuals who are more at risk. All right, got a couple calls on the line, so let's start with uh, Mike, who's called in today. Good morning, Mike. You're on the air with Dr. Jimmy. Yes. I was wanting to ask how likely I've got emphysema, COPD, asthma, and hypertension. How likely would it be if I caught that to survive? Uh, Mike, how old are you? 54. 54. Okay. So, yeah. So what we know is that, um, is that individuals who get the, who contract the virus, who are infected with the virus, who have chronic medical conditions, and you listed a couple of them that are in the group that we know are at increased risk. Uh, so any kind of lung disease. So you said COPD, emphysema, asthma, those are things that can put you at an increased risk because of this virus affects that part of your body, um, uh, in particular. 
So uh, age-wise, you know, you're sort of at the break point where as you get older, if you were, say, 80, your risk, if you did get the, the virus and having those other conditions in particular, would be very high risk of having a more severe course, uh, possibly in the ICU, possibly even, uh, you know, dying of that. But, um, but it, your age does, it, that, that is a, a positive as far as your total risk. Uh, but my, you are at risk for, for developing that just because of lung disease. And because of that, some of the things that you would want to do uh, is you definitely want to stay away from other people as much as possible. You know, the hard thing about this is that we, we, we know that people who could have this and not have any symptoms at all. So, for instance, if your kids or your grandkids came over and visited with you and you were at a high-risk category like yourself, um, then they could have the virus, have zero symptoms, pass it to you, and then you could have some major problems with it. So definitely I would sort of try to protect yourself with people coming in and out. If you do have to get, go out, make sure that you're washing your hands frequently, stay away from people who are coughing, those kinds of things. But, uh, you know, I can't really give you a number, but uh, it is a, an increased risk uh, with having those lung problems. Okay. Well, I... At my every when I was bad, I'm disabled mm-hmm. already. And Mike, it, and Mike, something else too. If you develop a fever, so that's anything over 100.4, a cough or shortness of breath. I'm sh- you, you may even have some baseline shortness of breath with those medical conditions affecting your lungs. But if that got worse, you need to call your physician. Call first. They may want to go ahead and test you as a high risk group with those symptoms. Uh, and there's multiple uh, different testing centers now, now in the state, um, but you would want to get tested and treated uh, quicker and maybe a little bit more different than, say, if you didn't have those medical conditions. Okay. All right, Mike. Thank you for calling. All right, uh, Dr. Jimmy, next we've got uh, D on the line from Jackson with a comment for us. Go ahead, D. You're on the air. Uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, um, my comment is um, firefighters and, and police officers, you know, they risk their lives daily, and we appreciate that. But a lot of people over the years have overlooked nurses. You know, they they put their lives on the line as well. Uh, my daughter, she's a young mother and a wife. She is a nurse in Georgia. Uh, she told me that her unit has been converted into coronavirus unit. Uh, not only do they have to, uh, they have to reuse masks, uh, they don't have the proper PPE. She said now, uh, people don't want to come on their unit, like, uh, so now they have to serve the patient's meals themselves. If anything needs to be mopped, they have to do that themselves. She said the other day, uh, somebody came in to do some work, like a plumber. This guy had a full hazmat suit on, and here they are in little scrubs, thin gloves, n- no uh, protective, uh, you know, stuff to put on their shoes or anything. And it's like, you know, people, they need to respect them and honor them. I mean, I mean, they're not, they're not even in the same category as police officers or, or firefighters. I mean, he's, my daughter yeah, she- went to... I mean, she can't even get a discount at, at say, like a Captain D's or somewhere. But police officers can. 
I mean, yeah, they're, D, they're I, risking I, their lives. I think you're right. D, D, I think you're right. I, I, there's there's a lot of need, um, particularly for protecting our healthcare workers, and it's it's nurses, it's physicians, you know, it's anybody in the hospital really. I mean, there's all kinds of different people. The uh, the maintenance people in a hospital uh, situation or in a clinic situation, the staff, uh, all of these people need to be protected so that we can treat uh, patients appropriately. Um, now, uh, Dr. Woodward mentioned, you know, just in particular for UMMC's needs, which we're challenged with these two with short supplies of personal protective equipment or PPEs that you mentioned, like masks, gloves, gowns, face shields, goggles. There are some ways that people are donating those and businesses around the state that are now either manufacturing those or buying and donating them. So I, I would echo what you said. We need this. Uh, I know a lot of people out there are using it, like you said, in other, other health, uh, non-healthcare related uh, jobs. And, you know, leave that up to them to decide whether that's appropriate or not. But if, you're, if it's not appropriate, uh, certainly donating that right now to the people who need it, including nurses, uh, that, that could be something that you could do. So, Dee, uh, thanks for that comment. Certainly, uh, we want to we protect our healthcare professionals uh, during this time. Uh, so that they can take care of all of us. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy, Dr. Jimmy with you this morning and uh, taking your calls on COVID-19, but also other healthcare questions that you might have. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Uh, Dr. Jimmy, we've got another caller on the line, so we're going to say good morning to Jackie in Madison. Jackie, go ahead. You're on the air with us. Uh, we have a farm in Summit, and uh, we do a lot of farm work, and we always have the masks for painting and woodworking and whatever. So I went down there, and we did have a small box. There were only three masks and 95 masks in the box, but I had heard on the early on weeks ago that the government had a warehouse full of N95 masks, but they were expired. I looked all over my box. There's no expiration date. What expires on these masks? Yeah, well, some of them, uh, so if they have, like, particularly the rubber, I know, in the, you know, in the, the piece that fits around your head uh, to keep it snug, sometimes that can degrade with time. 
Uh, UV radiation or heat can break down some of the components in those masks. Um, but, you know, particularly if they're the ones that tie, uh, you know, those, those last a little bit longer. And certainly you can use those for other things. You know, it's not just for COVID-19 right now. We have all kinds of other situations where we have physicians and healthcare professionals who are um, using those non-COVID masks, the ones that do come into direct contact. So there's different types of masks that can do different things. Um, but I would say, you know, I, probably right now we're not going to be able to use something that's out of date like that in a healthcare setting just because we just want to make sure that we're as safe as possible but right. that's that's probably why that expiration date is on there. Does that have like the rubber uh, rubber band around it? Yeah, so it has it yeah. has two yellow rubber bands. But I mean, it's better than nothing. And I thought, well, we're going to use sure. these three we have, but um, you can't right. buy them anywhere. So I just wondered what was the expiration issue with them. But that, yeah, that I, sounds I, reasonable. I think that's the I think that's the main issue for those types of of masks. But um, but you could try, you know, you could, you could, uh, you could try to see if uh, if an organization, if a healthcare organization, might be willing to take those, and they make and you know, just sort of have those in the back supply. Should uh, should it get to that? Hopefully, it won't. Hopefully, we'll have enough uh, PPEs for everybody. But uh, that's that's probably the reason why on that. Yeah. Okay. Well, the box was not labeled. Like I said, it, it it had no expiration date on it, so I don't know how old they are. But they they work fine, and the rubber is not deteriorated. It's not like a rubber band that breaks down. But so far, anyway. Right. But they were sealed up in a box in the house, so that's probably yeah. why. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Love your show. Okay. Thank you. Dr. Jimmy, do we have another? We do have another caller on the line. So next up, it is James, who's called in while on the road today. Good morning, James. Go ahead. Hey guys, hope y'all are having a wonderful day. Uh, Thank you. Question, question. I got two questions for you. One, uh, the tanning beds. Will that help me? I guess avoid the, like, if I get any kind of the virus on me or whatever. Will Will that help kill it? Will, is that enough heat? Because I, I guess it's just I'm getting into this whole rumor thing. Whatever one's saying, and will that make a difference going to a tanning bed to help kill it? And also, as far as the mask, you see these cyclers, like bicycle riders, they got like a mask that they wear. It's got like a filter inside it. Will that be beneficial? So, so first question, tannin beds. So UV radiation, that's ultraviolet radiation. Um, you get that out in the sun. It's sort of, that's what sort of burns the skin. Uh, that's, that's the main way that a tanning bed helps. In, in larger amounts of UV radiation, it has been, you know, they've, they've looked at ways with equipment to sterilize that. But that's certainly not that effective. And getting in the tanning bed is not going to reduce your risk of getting this. If you've got it on you, the best way is soap and water uh, or other disinfectant, particularly on your hands, keeping your hands away from your mouth, particularly uh, or from your face, particularly your mouth, nose and eyes. Uh, but that's not going to decrease your, your risk if you're going to a tanning bed. Heat, uh, that's, it's not going to get hot enough to do that. Anything hot enough to kill the, the virus would uh, also damage uh, you. Uh, so uh, that's, that's sort of a, 
an urban legend there that that's going to somehow protect you and increase your risk of skin cancer too while you're doing that. Um, yes. But the other the other question you had about the masks that cyclers wear, I, most of those do not have uh, the capability to really filter this out. And for the general population, really, unless you're in close contact with somebody, there's really no need to wear a mask like that out in public. I know a lot of people I've seen doing that. Uh, if you're out in public, uh, that's probably not going to protect you too much uh, just with a general risk of getting this. You're much more likely to pick it up in something that you touch. Uh, certainly if somebody sneezed in front of you, that, that might uh, put you at risk. But if you don't have eye protection on and it gets in your eyes, then that's a, that's a route of transmission too. All right. Well, guys, I appreciate that. And y'all have yourself a wonderful day. All right. You too. Thank you for calling. All right, uh, Dr. Jimmy, we got about two minutes left and we've got one call left and it is Larry in Ridgeland. Good morning, Larry. Go ahead, please. Good morning. I have uh, uh, sinus issues with post-nasal drip, drip, so I don't cough constantly, but once in a while I'll cough. And people near me would panic because they, they say, well, we got this COVID-19 and, and you just coughed, okay? They say the cough with COVID-19 is a, quote, dry cough. What specifically is meant by a dry cough? So a dry cough would be something that you're not coughing up something. A wet cough or a productive cough, sometimes we we describe it that way, is something when you cough, you get sputum. So that's that thick mucus, which is deep down from your lungs. Uh, so that's the difference there. Now, we're in the height of spring allergies right now with all of our tree pollens and some of our other pollens that are around and allergens. So I'm having, you know, my usual sinus, uh, sinus uh, drip. A lot of other people are. That can certainly cause a cough. It can cause a dry cough. So for most people, it's a fever uh, greater than 100.4 with a cough and shortness of breath. Those are the three things, really, uh, the three most common symptoms of people who, who are going to have this. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, just because of, of a lot of the fear that's out there, anytime somebody coughs, everybody's turning their head and they can even give you looks. There's even been a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, things on social media that I've seen about people who have extreme uh, um, uh, reactions to that, sometimes violent. Uh, you know, we, we need to, to have a lot of respect for one another and certainly distance ourselves from one another, but not at the expense of, of attacking people or, uh, you know, even uh, treating them a lot differently because of that. But um, those are some of the differences in cough uh, when we talk about a wet cough versus a dry cough. Dry cough is sort of a, a cough where you're not bringing anything up with it. And then that wet cough would have that sputum production. Because okay, I don't know if when I cough with, with uh, post-nasal drip, if that's actually bringing anything up or not, you see. Because <clears throat> I know I have mucus in me. Right. I, I think you're probably okay unless you develop a fever or the shortness of breath. That's probably okay. due to that sinus drainage. And then, and then I think people that would have this cough, I mean, it wouldn't be a, 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 a once-in-a-while thing. It would kind of be like almost like a steady type thing, huh? Yeah, it wouldn't sort of come and go. Usually those allergic-type coughs, too, this time of year tend to be worse when you're laying down and early in the morning. Now, Or if you're exposed to something. If you go outside, you start coughing, you come back in. And we're going to have these overlaps of different things and other things that can cause coughs. Certainly you could have another viral illness during this time that causes that cough. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app.